Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. My name is Meg Barnhouse, and I would like to extend my greeting to you. I'd like to extend extend a special greeting if you are a first-time visitor with us. We're very glad you're here. If you have been visiting for a while with us and you would like to make this your spiritual home, everyone in this room would be delighted if you were to become a member of this congregation. That involves either speaking to me or taking a class or both and then signing the membership book. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. That is what we aim to do. We aim also to be open to those of all racial and ethnic backgrounds, those of all gender identifications and sexual attractions, those of all political parties, those who like clapping in services and those who do not. We open our hearts to one another, to what we can learn from being in community with one another. And now while Brian lights the chalice, will you still please say our chalice lighting words with me? In the light of truth and in the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. We have a religious heritage where the Unitarians and Universalists for centuries have believed that there is a spark of the divine in every human being, and it is in that spirit that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and your left and welcoming them here this morning. Please join with me as we affirm our mission statement here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. You will find it in your order of service, you'll find it on the wall, and I hope you will also feel it. Here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning is a story that I wrote. It's in my book called Did I Say That Out Loud? Um, The story is called Silk. I have some kind of disorder when it comes to buying and wrapping presents. Either I get the best, coolest thing ever, or I can't find anything that's not dull or run-of-the-mill. Worse than socks. I get sleepy as I'm wrapping because I know I'm not doing it right. Right, to me, means the best it's ever been done. Doing it so well that people will be talking next Christmas about what a wonderful wrapping job I did. Imagine wrapping my gift with cloth that is hand-stamped, made from silk from caterpillars that were hand-raised with Vivaldi playing in the background. In comparison with the inner perfectionist to whose standards I hold myself, Martha Stewart is merely adequate. In the real world, I adopt an attitude of despairing carelessness. Why try when I won't be able to come close? Layered over the despair is a sense of irony. I get it, that the present will look and be ordinary, even though my feelings for the recipient are far from ordinary. If I had hand-raised the caterpillars to classical music, made the wrapping from their silk, and learned ancient stamping and knotting techniques that would make my wrapping into a work of art, the present still wouldn't match 
the love with which I mean to present it. There would still be something wrong with the not. I get the joke that perfection can never happen. I've heard of Chinese artists who deliberately put a tiny imperfection in an elaborately curved, carved jade ball because perfection is an insult to the gods. I would never have to put one in deliberately. I don't think they do either, really. Maybe I'll make a bumper sticker just for myself. Imperfection happens. I feel a mix of despair and cheerfulness, both of which are responses to my awareness that the perfection in my imagination can never be attained, so I try to relax and have fun most of the time. Despair, irony, cheer. Yeah, that's me. I also know that I don't care if a present is wrapped perfectly when I'm given one, so I bet no one's inspecting my wrapping job. They're busy feeling good, that they're loved and cherished, glad that they live in a cocoon of friends and family that holds them, not perfectly, but holds them nonetheless. The tyranny of perfectionism is so heavy when it's unexamined, so easy to shrug off once you look at it full on. Why should I despair? I'm doing well enough. In this world, all we have to do is learn to love and be loved. That takes the whole time. Nothing else is important. Maybe my wanting to have a shimmering silk ribbon made from my own caterpillar farm is just a way of distracting myself from love with something easier. My heart makes silk that those I love can wrap themselves in, fall softly into, rub absently across their cheeks. Right now, it still has a few rough places, but I'm working on it sometimes to Vivaldi. The voice of perfectionism becomes a tinny and distant demand. Why should I despair when I'm wrapped in a symphony of silk from the hearts of so many friends? What gifts of love I've been given? What gifts I have still to give? I smile a silky smile. Now is the time in our service when we bring our joys and our sorrows into this sacred space. Please feel free to go light a candle for a significant joy, sorrow, or memory in your life. This morning I'm going to talk about the devil. It's pretty unusual in a Unitarian Universalist congregation to even hear that word. I'm also going to talk about Martha Stewart, um, because the holidays are here, and we're having family over, and we're decorating the house, and um, as you can see on the front of your bulletin, we're looking up how to do a formal place setting at our tables. We're traveling, and we're buying presents, and it's just a lot to deal with, and we're trying to do it all at the same time that we have this outraged response about students being pepper sprayed, and we're trying to figure out how to be the best kind of social justice crusaders we can be while also writing good thank you notes. And Martha Stewart could do it. She's an idol of perfection for um, straight women and gay men. And... 
And even she went to jail well, I thought. I mean, really, they just got her because she was rich and mean. And, um, and yet she just said, let's just do this thing. Let's get it over with. Let's not delay anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to be lovely to the inmates. And I'm going to look lovely in my orange jumpsuit. And, I'm gonna, um, and then I'm going to get out and come home with my little ankle bracelet on and make beautiful, perfect things while I'm in my house arrest phase. I, um, I hope never to go to jail, but if I have to, that's the way I'd like to do it. Long years ago, before I had children even, um, I asked for her gardening book for Christmas, and I devoured it. It's this huge, many of you have it, I'm sure, thick book that has everything in it you'll need to know. The photographs are luminous. The peonies look like heavenly peonies. The tomatoes look like jewels. The, the garden in winter looks beautiful. Under snow, this little stone walls and the knot-shaped herb garden and the trellises. And I, um, I learned from that book month by month, how to start seedlings and uh, how to propagate hydrangeas and how to paint concrete urns. And she taught me to prune my trees and to make a poached pear dessert from the pears I had. Well, I didn't actually grow pears. I, um, I just grew tomatoes and zinnias. Uh, one year I had beans. And um, this is what a suburban person I am. I, I looked at the beans day by day, and I couldn't see any. I was like, my beans aren't working. And, and I finally got down on my knees to weed, and there they were all underneath the leaves. So who knew? <laughs> so I, I was a very long way from pear trees. But um, I did... I, I was proud of what I did, but you know, you look at that book, and you just feel inadequate... And then I felt a little bit less inadequate when I found out that she sleeps four hours a night and has an army of helpers just standing by to do her bidding. And somehow the helpers never really get into the photographs. <laughs> and I'm really not here to trash Martha at all. As I said, I admire Martha. I just, I don't like what she does to people. Um, as we compare ourselves to her. And I know that there are equivalent, um, absolutely ideal men. John Wayne used to be it. I don't know who is the ideal man now, but um, I look at the home and garden guys, and they're very competent, like Norm. He's very competent. He can make an armoire just from, like, passing a picture in a window. And um, I... I love the way he says, remember, always wear your eye protection. <laughs> it's very motherly. But he's kind of goofy looking, so he's not really ideal. I, I don't think that he probably makes men feel inadequate just by comparison. So back to Martha. Martha is gorgeous and, and fit and lovely, and she has a lovely uh, home. And she can make things perfect, and she will even step back from something and go, oh, there, that's perfect. 
you know how many times I've stepped back from something I've made and said, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Zero. Some people are more controlled by that thing inside that wants to be perfect than other people. Firstborn people are more controlled by it than other people. I, I'm sorry to say, I had a firstborn child. I was a therapist. I was a firstborn child. I was going to help him over that. <laughs> and, um, and so from the time he was three days old, I was like, honey, just have fun. It's all right. Don't worry about it. When he was just able to roll over as a little baby, there was a a nightlight that had fallen out of the electrical socket. It was lying on the carpet. And I left him um, in the living room by himself on the floor because I had no furniture. I was in my minimalist period. And, um, and when I got back from making the sandwich, he had rolled over to where the nightlight was out of place, and he was trying to put it with his little baby hand. He was trying to put it in place. I just thought, oh. So our perfectionism inside can fluctuate depending on how tired we are, how hungry we are, on uh, where our bank account is, where our, the number is on our scale, um, whether our mother has just yelled at us or not about something, whether our father has looked disappointed. Our perfectionism can fluctuate. It comes from fear. It comes from the fear that there's something wrong with us that only we can feel. It comes from that fear that everybody has, and you have to use this knowledge only for good. Please, raise your right hand. I will use this knowledge only for good. Thank you. So everybody around you feels like they're not doing it right. Everybody around you feels like that kid at camp that comes in the middle of the summer and doesn't know any of the songs and sees all the other kids around the campfire and they're singing and the kid who's new just has to kind of fake it and hope nobody notices that she's saying watermelon, watermelon instead of the words to whatever you're saying. I think we all have this feeling I, w I was in a drive-through at a at a restaurant recently, and um, somebody messed up something. I don't know. Was it our fault? Was it her fault? And we drove away, and Kai said, "I feel kind of bad for messing her up." I said, "Honey, she thinks it's her fault." She said, "How do you know that? That's weird." I said, "Trust me, she thinks it's her fault." <laughs> this is why you have to use this knowledge only for good. So that fear of having something. Lacking that fear of lacking some essential life competency that others naturally have can drive us to try to control things that shouldn't be controlled, that can't be controlled. Makes us crazy. So, um, perfectionism can work. It's destructive power in each one of us. Some of us have it in some areas and not in others. Some people have it in housekeeping. They, they'll say, oh, excuse my mess. And there's like, a napkin out of place. Some people have it in their, in their financial dealings. They have to have everything just right, and, and otherwise they feel like there's something 
wrong with them. So, some people have it in woodworking. Some people have it in their personal relationships. They can't stand it if somebody's mad at them or disappointed in them, and they'll bug you to death until you say you're all right with them. No, no, really, I'm not disappointed in you, okay? I am now. <laughs> I've had to spend the last 20 minutes of my life that I'll never get back again reassuring you about something that's not even real. Perfectionism has a positive side, too, of course. Good job performance, clean houses, orderly finances. The bad effects are stress and anxiety, um, along with an unwillingness to take on something you're not already good at. Sometimes perfectionists don't have enough adventure because they don't want to take on something they're not already good at. You know that um, out of the first 26 astronauts, 23 of them were firstborns? But out of um, some number of top inventors, I can't remember what the article said, but um, a good four-fifths of them were second-born children, inventors, because they're not scared to make a mistake. So perfectionism can keep you from adventuring because being wrong would be, feel like death. A mistake is out of the question. It can also lead to procrastination. Did you notice that a lot of procrastinators are also perfectionists? Because if they procrastinate long enough, then when the end product is not perfect, they can say, well, it would have been if I'd had more time. That's a little game that perfectionists play with themselves. It also leads us to be more critical of others than we should be. Um, you go into a restaurant with a perfectionist and they, they name five things that are wrong with the service and the food and um, it's not as much fun to go to a restaurant with me <laughs> as it is. Because we know how things should be run and we just can't believe that people haven't consulted us about how they should run. So we as spiritual folk are trying to become more centered, more compassionate, less critical when it doesn't matter, less controlling of things that cannot be controlled. We as spiritual folk are trying to add more love, more love, more love, less control, less control. Does that make sense? Martha makes some of us feel clumsy and incompetent, but it's not her fault. The reason is that we're comparing our insides to her outside. And when you compare your inside to somebody else's outside, you always look bad in comparison because you know your inside and you don't know that other person's insides. So, you know, bless her heart, she might be a mess. I'm not saying that would make me happy. So Martha Stewart is not the problem here. It's the devil. Let me explain. The word Satan, Satan, in Hebrew means the accuser. It means the accuser. And so the metaphor is of a trial, and God is the judge, of course, or your Aunt Matilda. I don't know who's the judge in your trial. But the accuser paces back and forth in the courtroom, pointing out all your flaws. 
Do you have that little voice inside every now and then, the accuser voice that says, you're, you did not do that right. You did not say that right. You don't look right. You are a big loser. You ha- can't dance. You can't paint. Whatever you're trying to do, usually the accuser voice is in there. And what some people do is they just give the accuser a whole room in their mind next door to the room where they're actually living their life. You give the accuser their own room. What I do is I give him a a lecture hall at Harvard. And I fill it with Harvard students who are taking notes. And so he paces back and forth saying whatever he's saying, and they're looking very seriously and taking notes. And then I am free to live my life. That's just a little technique. Some perfectionists look very capable and competent, and others look like an unmade bed of a human being because they've just given up because nothing can be as good as it's supposed to be. So I think it's important to remember what my mother taught me by playing her violin. A thing worth doing is worth doing badly. She woke up at 5 o'clock every morning and prayed for an hour. And then at 6, she would begin to practice. Hannon on the violin, which sounds like this, if you're not very good. That's what I woke up to every single morning of the world. But she had fun. And she played with the Mainline Symphony Orchestra, which was an all-volunteer orchestra. She played way in the back. (laughs) But she had a great time. And so I think we shouldn't let perfectionism keep us from having fun. I used to have a cartoon in my office of Glinda the Good Witch lying on the psychiatrist's couch. And she says, it got to be too much You give someone a heart, you give someone else a brain, and people start calling at all hours. Finally, I realized I don't have to be everything to everyone. I can just be the good enough witch. (laughs) So what I want to say this morning is that the devil is that spirit of fear that drives us to rigidity and anxiety, which saps our goodwill and clouds our compassion which keeps us from adventure and puts a wet blanket on our fun. And what I want to say is that our allegiance as good people, as spiritual people, people who want to make the world a better place, our allegiance is with love against fear. Love is always in dialogue with fear in our bodies, in our minds, our souls, our spirits. So in perfectionism is getting its claws into your brain, Take some deep breaths. Stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides. Remind yourself to be a good enough witch. And just wonder, what would this situation be like if there were more love? More love. May it be so. Will you please say the chalice extinguishing words with me? We extinguish this flame.
but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. May we weave the silk of love between us. May we look at one another with soft eyes, seeing not one another's faults, but one another's beauties. May we also look at ourselves with the same soft eyes. Maybe not every day, just every other day. It'll be all right. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.